You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Thursday, August 18th. I'm Zeke Robison. Today we're talking about implanted devices that let people control computers and prosthetic limbs with their minds. But nobody knows how long they'll last and when they'll need upgrades. Make sure to listen to the end to find out what other Wired podcasts you can check out today. Nathan Copeland considers himself a cyborg. The 36-year-old has lived with a brain-computer interface for more than seven years and three months. As of today, that's the longest anyone has had an implant like this. An electrode array the size of a pencil eraser surgically installed in his motor cortex translates his neural impulses into commands that allow him to control external devices, a computer, video games, and a robotic arm he can move with just his thoughts. A car accident in 2004 left Copeland paralyzed from the chest down, unable to move or feel his limbs. In 2014, he joined a study at the University of Pittsburgh for people with major spinal cord injuries to see whether a brain-computer interface, or BCI, could restore some of the functionality he'd lost. He didn't hesitate to sign up, even though it would require brain surgery, and nobody knew how long the device would keep working. When I started, they said, oh, it'll probably last five years. And that five years was based on monkey data, because no human had ever done it, he says. That Copeland's implant is still working and hasn't caused any major side effects or complications is promising for the field. It's a sign that the devices which have been in development since the 1960s but are still experimental are moving closer to commercial reality for patients with severe disabilities. It feels like it's on the borderline of being practical, says Jane Huggins, director of the University of Michigan Direct Brain Interface Laboratory, who's not affiliated with the Pittsburgh study. But questions still remain about the long-term durability of the implanted arrays, how much their performance will erode over time, and whether they can be upgraded. It would be utterly maddening to have function restored for years, then lose it again. And that is always a concern with implanted devices that may require service, Huggins says. Copeland received his first array in 2015 and later gained three more as part of the study, giving him a total of four active implants. Called Utah arrays, they are made of hard silicon and look a bit like the bristly part of a hairbrush. A standard array is a square grid with 100 tiny needles, each about a millimeter long and coated with conductive metal. Because neurons produce electrical fields when they communicate with one another, scientists are able to use these arrays to capture and record activity from hundreds of nearby neurons. 
To build a brain-computer interface, researchers have to translate those neural signals into digital commands that let the wearer drive a prosthetic limb or a computer. The system Copeland uses, called BrainGate, involves an implanted array, a cable that runs from a nickel-sized pedestal on his head to an external device that amplifies his neural signals and a computer that runs software to decode those signals. Richard Norman first conceived of the Utah Array in the 1980s as a professor of bioengineering at the University of Utah, where he was interested in finding a way to restore vision. It's since become the gold standard for brain-computer interface studies. The whole field is built on the Utah Array, says Matt Engel, CEO of Paradromics, a Texas-based BCI company. The fact that we've gone so long on a device that was designed in the 80s and 90s speaks to how much ahead of its time it was. In 2004, Matt Nagel became the first paralyzed person to be implanted with a Utah Array. It allowed him to move a computer cursor, operate a TV, check email, and make a prosthetic hand open and close. Nagel's implant was removed after a year following the protocol of the study he was participating in. Now there are more than 30 study participants around the world wearing implanted BCIs. Ian Burkhart previously had the record for the longest BCI implant until he had his removed in 2021 when his research study ended. With so few people outfitted with these devices, their longevity is still unknown. So far, the Utah Array has lasted up to 10 years in monkeys. In Copeland's case, his arrays are still working, but not as well as in the first year or so after being implanted, says Robert Gaunt, a biomedical engineer at the University of Pittsburgh and a member of Copeland's research team. The body is a very difficult place to put electronics and engineered systems into, Gaunt says. It's an aggressive environment, and the body is always trying to get rid of these things. Implanted arrays can provoke an immune response in the neural tissue that surrounds the electrodes, the spiky probes that stick into the brain. Studies have shown that this inflammation can lead to decreased signal quality, and scar tissue can form around brain implants, which also affects their ability to pick up signals from nearby neurons. The less information that a BCI can interpret from neurons, the less effective it is at carrying out its intended functions. One way scientists are trying to make implants last longer is by experimenting with different kinds of materials. The Utah Array is insulated with perylene, a protective polymer coating used in the medical device industry for its stability and low permeability to moisture, but it can corrode and crack over time, and other materials may prove to be more durable. Florian Solzbacher, co-founder and chairman of BlackRock Neurotech, which manufactures the Utah Arrays, says the company is testing one that's coated with a combination of perylene and silicon carbide, which has been around for more than 100 years as an industrial material. We've seen lifetimes on the benchtop that can reach up to 30 years, and we've got some preliminary data in animals right now, he says. But the company has yet to implant it in people, so the real test will be how human tissue reacts to the new formulation. Making electrodes more flexible could also help reduce scarring. Engel's company, Paradromics, is developing an implant similar to the Utah Array, but with thinner electrodes intended to be less disruptive to tissue. Some researchers are trying out softer materials that may be able to better integrate into the brain than the rigid Utah array. One group at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology is experimenting with hydrogel coatings designed to have an elasticity very similar to that of the brain. Scientists at the University of Pennsylvania are also growing living electrodes, hair-like microtissues made of neurons and nerve fibers grown from stem cells. But these approaches have downsides too. You can get a rigid thing into a soft thing, but if you're trying to put a very soft thing into another soft thing, that's very hard, Gaunt says. Another approach is to make the implant smaller and therefore less invasive. For instance, researchers are testing neurograins, tiny chips the size of a grain of sand that could hypothetically be sprinkled across the cortical surface. 
but no one has tried dispersing them on a human brain, the system has only been tested in rodents that had their skulls removed. Some research participants have had their Utah arrays taken out and replaced, but multiple surgeries aren't ideal because each one carries a risk of infection or bleeding at the implant site. Gaunt says surgeons probably wouldn't place a new implant in the exact same place as an old one, especially if there's scarring in that area. But making sure that a replacement is put in the right spot is another risk. Implants in the wrong place could cause cognitive and communication impairments. Gaunt says it would be better for the external BCI components, the processors or software for instance, to be upgradable so that patients wouldn't have to undergo multiple surgeries. But in fact, the external part of most BCI systems is actually one of the biggest risks for brain implants. The pedestal that sits atop the skull tends to cause infection, but its presence is necessary to connect the implanted array to the external computer. For now, Copeland and other research participants have to get plugged into the system via their head pedestals to use their BCIs. Researchers are working on getting rid of the cables. For Copeland, it's a mild annoyance in exchange for getting to do the things he can do with his BCI, although he hopes future systems will be wireless and give paralyzed people an even broader range of abilities. Given the unknowns of BCI longevity, Copeland knows his implant could stop working someday, but he tries not to worry about it. I'm super chill about most things. I just go with the flow, he says. That said, he wouldn't turn down an upgrade. In five or ten years, if there is something that would have significant improvements, I would do the surgery again and just go for it. Make sure to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Business, we talk about the AI hype that has researchers in different fields rushing to use techniques that they don't always understand, causing a wave of spurious results. Checking in on Wired Science, we see how scientists are driving around in a specialized observatory to better understand how urban heat varies not only block to block, but door to door. And on Wired Security, at last, a long-awaited IoT reverse engineering tool is finally here. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com podcasts. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.